the path to success is paved with fear, doubt, anxiety and failure. For some people, it's just too much. Others have the grit and determination to overcome. These are their stories. Welcome to the When It Worked podcast. I am your host, Julian Leahy. Hello everyone, Julian Leahy here. Welcome to the When It Worked podcast. Today I'm joined by Ricky Miller from the United States over in California, former football star with Fresno State, and Ricky has created a luxury vodka brand. Hello, Ricky. Welcome to the podcast. Julian, thanks for having me. No problem at all. So you've launched Carbonati. Now, Carbonati is a little bit different from most vodka brands out there. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing that's different to some of the other brands. Um, you know, the, the, the first thing that comes to mind when people ask me about the differences um, with Carbonati is that you know, the vodka category in itself is a, a very saturated, over-competitive um, category. So there's a lot of monotony. And, um, you know, so what we've done is we've created a, we've gone on the higher end where there's a lot less competition um, and created a, a sipping vodka. And so it's, it's not intended to be mixed in a vodka in a cocktail. It's intended to be enjoyed by itself, you know, chilled um, or on the rocks. And, and it has a very creamy uh, texture so that you can enjoy it and it's super clean so that you're not smacked in the face with the ethanol like you are yeah. with most vodkas. Yeah, so it's, you know, we have a very, um, very uh, um, different type of process. We filter it through raw black diamonds, um, which extract impurities that a conventional filter can extract. Um, and then we micro-oxygen it, which is a, a, com- a common wine process. Um, where it's basically like simulating barrel aging, um, and that gives it a really, really smooth texture. So it's about as pure as it can get. And um, that's right. And I just wanted to ask you, how did you come up with the idea that it's better to not try and compete, and maybe the race to the bottom as far as pricing goes? How early on did you identify that you wanted to place yourself as a luxury brand? And that way you could just sort of separate from what everyone else was doing. Was that from straight away? You knew that that's what you wanted to do? Yeah. Yes, because I'm more of a brand builder than I am a vodka lover. Yep. And so I wasn't that that race to the bottom that you referred to. I wasn't interested in doing that. And as a, you know, having only one product, I couldn't afford to do that. A lot of, a lot of brands can't afford, can't afford to do that because the vodka is just one piece of their portfolio. So they can, you know, sell vodka really cheap, but they're making money on the other brands. And so I didn't want to do that. I wanted to create a brand that people really um, loved and enjoyed and um, wanted to be seen with. And um, yeah, I had no interest in, in, in creating a low level vodka. Did you have any experience in brand building? I know you've got a couple of other brands. Is, is that sort of where you developed that perspective on the importance of building a brand? Yes, for sure. I mean, I think after football, um, after trying a bunch of different things, you know, I, I ultimately fell in love with uh, beverage marketing and just marketing products in general and creating a brand and creating a product that consumers want to drink or consume you know, versus other products, like that competitiveness in me, um, the creativity in me, um, really, you know, 
like sparked a passion for for creating brands. Yeah. Do you think that uh, the the competitive side of your personality is that something that you fostered through playing elite sports? Um. Yes. And I think it's my 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 mother raised me like that. You know, to always compete. Um. But yeah, playing sports and being in a sports family. You know, just everybody in my family played sports. It was always a competitive environment. You know, so. Yeah, competition was just part part of my my family in the DNA. Yep, Ricky. What I wanted to ask you was, um, if you could start again, what is the one thing that you wish you had known before you started Carbonati that would have helped you with the building of the brand? That's a great question. Um, I would have gone a lot slower, and rather than jump into as many markets as I am now, I would have picked one market like Southern California, and I would have focused there and gone as deep as I could before spreading it, spreading out to other markets. But, you know, as a young, exciting, excited, wanting to take over the world type of entrepreneur, jumping into, you know, multiple markets was fun for me. In my head, it equated to growth. Um, but really, you know, like I said, it, it, it takes developing your systems and processes in, in one market and then duplicating that in other places. So I, I would have definitely focused um, on a smaller footprint and perfected what I was doing before expanding. It's a bit of a catch-22, isn't it? With hindsight, I, I can see where you would, uh, you would gain that knowledge, but, you know, you can't sort of, you can't beat the enthusiasm of, of thinking that you can just take, take over the world and that would probably be an asset in itself. Uh, what advice would you give to somebody wanting to get into the liquor market and maybe luxury liquor market? Advice for someone wanting to get into the luxury Somebody liquor that was breaking into it and had no idea what to do or where to start. I would just say that, that, that their why um, needs to be strong. You know, the reason they're getting into to it, and it has to be something other than making a lot of money um you know it could be that that just for me i feel like that can't be the number one thing because there's going to be so many deterrents it's such a tough game to get into um you know and and you have to really enjoy the journey just because it's ridden with obstacles and unfair situations and um you know so you, you just have to have a, a passion for it you know because that if you don't you will be filtered out pretty quick filtered out exactly that's a it's a good good point and um i think that a lot of people do have that mindset when they go into business is that i'm just going to quickly see if i can make this work and of course that's not how things work and like you said nothing quick about it you got to just enjoy the process and then uh, love what you're doing um, you talked about some obstacles that came along, which, you know, if you if you didn't have the right reason for doing it, might have, you know, caused you to quit. What are some of those obstacles that you experienced early on? Um, well, early on, um, ton of obstacles, uh, lack of money. Yeah. Um, got diagnosed with cancer, um, where I could have easily just said, you know, I'm just going to focus on beating this. Um, lack of knowledge in, in the industry. You know, so I had to make a lot of mistakes. Tell us about the day where, you know, you found out that you were diagnosed with cancer. Uh, that was actually 
literally five years ago, two days ago, June first. Um, it was it was just another day at the office, and um, I was I was I had to use the bathroom, and it was blood pouring out, and didn't know what it was. Ended up going to the hospital, and I was, I was bleeding internally, and um, uh, after a bunch of tests. You know, they, they found a, a bunch of tests and a bunch of nine blood transfusions and this whole this whole mess. Um, and uh, they ended up telling me it was it was stage three uh, small small bowel cancer. And um, so you know, like I said, I was in the I was in the in the middle of launching a company, and so and you nearly that died. That, yeah, that could have easily. You know, been a, a reason to just not continue, especially because it wasn't it wasn't running smoothly at the time. You know, like I could have it could that could have been my excuse to just not continue. Um, but because I wanted to do it so bad, it actually is what got me out of bed every morning. You know, so how long um, did it take for you till you could sort of focus back on the business when you started to recover? Because that sounds quite um, a serious. I, I never I never stopped to be honest with you. I had. Yeah. I had chemotherapy every other week, so it would, I would, every other week I had to work from home because I'd be vomiting for a week, um, and so then the week that I felt good, I'd be out in the field doing what I needed to do, um, and so that, that was, that whole process lasted nine months and, uh, two operations, and, uh, and then, then it was behind me. That's great, Ricky, so you, you've got a clean bill of health now. And yeah. a new resolve. I don't think, um, you know, if cancer couldn't stop you, I don't think anybody could stop you now. No, thank you, but I appreciate that. Yeah. All right, now, um, what are some of the resources that you have really used that really helped you along the way in your business? The internet, man, the internet. Like, I, I read a lot. I read all the industry, um, trade, pub, you know, the, the websites, Shinkin News Daily, um, the Spirits Business, which is the the UK based alcohol website, um, and I just consumed as much information industry related as I possibly could, um, and and ultimately over time, I wouldn't say became an expert, but became very knowledgeable on what was going on, um, and then I asked a lot of questions to people in the industry, like. I, I learned in every conversation. I was, I, there was a, things that just started to, um, like the more questions I asked, the more answers I got, like it started to become clear to me kind of like how this game is played. And, and to this day, it's still becoming clearer. So, um, you know, every single day I, or every morning when I wake up, I read Schenken News Daily and the Spirits News. So what's this, um, what's Schenken News? What's that? Is it a... Uh, Schenken News Daily is a um a website owned by marvin schenken and it's basically like the espn of the spirits industry so it talks about all the mergers and acquisitions it talks about new products it talks about uh distribution deals it talks about um anything and everything that has to do with spirit companies out there um if you want to know what's going on in the industry schenken news is where it's at all right, I'll put a link to that in the uh, post on the blog so that anyone interested in, in finding that information, it sounds like a really good resource. Um, sure. Rick, 
Because you talked about, you know, who are the people that you were talking to? How were you accessing them? Were they you just talking to them on Facebook? No, I would be out. Like I would have, especially like with my distributor, I would, you know, they they know the market really well. They know what other brands are doing because they have other brands as clients. Um, so I would just, I just wasn't afraid to ask questions. I would be like, hey, what are these brands doing? You know, how much money are they spending on marketing in these types of accounts? You know, what. Where are they pricing their product at? What kind of margins are they working with? Yeah. Um, you know, how many people do they have servicing this market? Like, I would just ask question after question after question, and um, and and take note, and uh, that's kind of how I started to understand how how it really worked. Understand the market and the, and how everything gets priced, and and Ricky, who would be three people who have been the most influential to you? My mother, my stepfather. And I would say my son, like those, those for sure. Excellent. And yeah. Ricky, what is one common myth about the industry you're in that you believed before you got into it, but you could debunk it now? Well, that's a great question. It's a bit of a curly one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I would say that, like, I think most people, especially entrepreneurs, think when they get into the business, that if they have a great brand um, and a great product inside the bottle, um, you know, and some funding, that it's going to be all, you know. Everybody will come be, to them and buy. Everybody, everybody will come to them. Yeah, every all the bars and restaurants are going to want them. <clears throat> Everyone's going to start ordering, and you're off to the races, and, and, and that's just not the way it goes. I don't care how good your product is. I don't care how much money you have to spend. Um, it just takes time. It's a conditioning process, and um, you know, and a lot of a lot of uh, politics. And so that's why patience is so important in this game because you know everybody has you know a different agenda. So you got you have to work within that. A theme of what you're saying is yeah, you have to be patient. It's not going to happen overnight. You've got to embrace the process and the grind. How many years did it take? I mean, it must have been rough in the beginning. How long did it take before you started to go, you know what, I think this is working. I'm starting to get some consistent revenue coming in. How long did that take? Just now, man. Yeah. I, eight years. Eight years. I, yeah, I, I launched in 2013, and, and now we're starting to really see, you know, consistent orders and um, and, then, and then unsolicited um, business where, you know, before – if I, I do every account that you knew every deal because you made it yeah exactly that's exactly right so now I, I can walk into a store or I'm walking through the airport and I see the and I see it there and so now wow that must be a great feeling yeah yeah an incredible feeling so literally and that started happening in the last in the last year that's awesome Ricky I mean once you get to that point I think you know, that's your foundation and, um, mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of growth you can do from here, you've made that point where, you you know, you're either going to not make it or you, you, you do make it and, um, you know, the sky's the limit now, I think, for you. Where can our listeners connect with you, Ricky, online? Instagram, uh, Ricky Miller the third, all spelled out. Yep. Um, and, uh, and our website, House of Carbonati. House of Carbonati. Um, yep. And, uh, and they're on TikTok. I started in TikTok. So on TikTok as well. Thing, Ricky Miller the third. 
Okay, I'm, I've put all your socials on, on the blog post, uh, whenitworked.com. Uh, we've got Ricky's Facebook and Instagram and, and stuff on there if, as well. Right, Ricky, what I want to end on, um, would you say there's been a defining moment for you in your business? Just one one point that really started to tip things in your favor, something that you did uh, that really started to change things for you and uh, our listeners would really like to know what that was that was the tipping point for you tipping point um based on what you said i mean there maybe there wasn't one it was just consistency and persistency something that you've done that you know perhaps people listening would be able to take as a tip that they could do in their own business got it um well, I think it's, it, there was no, it wasn't a, a one-time thing, but I think I've gotten the most value from not being afraid to go straight to the decision maker, you know. So my whole business has been built on going directly to the founder or the CEO or the COO rather than the buyer or the person that's ultimately going to purchase my product. Um, it's always been a top top-down strategy for me. Um, I learned in the beginning that, you know, going to the lower level buyers, um, I'm just going to be met with a bunch of, you know, qualifying questions. And ultimately, I'm not set up to win. So I figured if I can go and connect, you know, which is one of my superpowers is connecting with people. If I can go connect with the founders and the CEOs um, and, and on a human level and then get introduced to the lower level buyers, the conversation, the tone of the conversation was very different. Um, and, you know, so early on I would walk into luxury hotels and they would, you know, essentially laugh me out of the building, just, you know, another vodka, it's high price, no one knows who you are. Um, we, I didn't get much time, but as soon as I started connecting with the high level people and then getting reintroduced to the lower level people, um, their tone changed very much. Um, and, and I started to do that with, with all the accounts that I would go into. So just not being afraid to go directly to um, the decision makers. That's a, This is a gold nugget, Ricky. I think uh, a lot of people, uh, um, maybe they're, they're not used to sales, but you deal with a lot of gatekeepers. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it can take you a long time to realize that, that, like you said, you are just wasting your time. The decision is not going to be made by the gatekeeper. Um so how did you get access to the, the people that you needed to be forming relationships with at events or So there's so there's not there's never there's never one way to do it, right? Yeah. Um but I can give you an example of one of the ways I did it early on and it's probably the story that I tell the most. Um I had <clears throat> you know, after I had gone to a this one of the uh, one of the nicer hotels locally um and didn't get much time. I figured, you know, I was like, you know, I need to get a luxury hospitality brand behind me because one of the first questions the buyers always ask um, is where where are you already available? Where are you selling? And early on, like, you don't really have places you can say. Everything is based on your product and you're looking for someone to give you a chance. And so those conversations were really short. So <clears throat> what I did is I, you know, I said, you know what, I need a luxury hospitality brand behind me. So when I think about luxury hospitality, the first brand that comes to my mind is Four Seasons. Um, you know, and so 
long story short, I um, found the email for the founder of Four Seasons, and and all I did there was find the structure of the emails from a lower level person, find the founder's name and this. I get you. So structure. how they write right. their emails, like the first yeah. name dot last name. Exactly. Oh, There's that is some ninja stuff, Ricky. <laughs> There's only a few different combinations, right? So yep. the beautiful part about it is when you send an email, if it's the wrong one, then it bounces right Bounce back. Bounces back, lets you know. Try right, exactly. So, so what I did is I wrote a, I wrote a letter to him, um, and I and actually, I'm sorry, the email came later. I actually wrote a letter. You wrote a letter. Snail mail to the office. Yeah, I wrote a, a snail mail. I wrote a letter. Um, in the letter, I just told him how much I admired him. Um, I knew who he was. Um, I read his book. It had really impacted. You know my business approach in a major wow. way. Building up that's his ego on exactly, the front end. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, sent him a book. Asked him if he can sign it. I found his wife's book on Amazon. She's a Jewish immigrant. Yeah. Um, I asked him if he can get her to sign it. Um, I uh, and then I got. I found out where he went to college. He went to Ryerson Technical Institute in, in Toronto, Canada, and I got him a custom polo shirt. Um, and said, hey, I want to connect with you, basically. And long story, like I said, longer, I uh, I got a package in the mail two weeks later um, that had the two paperback books that I had sent. Um, they weren't signed. They had two additional hard hardcover books of each with nice messages in them. Um, and then uh, like a three-sentence uh, letter back to me basically saying love what you're doing would love to invite you out to my house oh, to talk wow. to so I went to end up flying out to Toronto sitting down with him at his house um, I said you know what while I have this guy's attention I'm going to have my, my uh, I'm, I'm going to really woo him so I had my my uh, father who's an artist by trade um, paint an oil painting of him and his wife and, and their four kids from like 50 years ago, it was out of the book. And um, and I took that and gave it to him. And we literally sat for hours in his living room talking about everything but business. Um, long story short, that was my first, that was my first customer. Four so you seasons. got the Four Seasons? Yes, that was my first customer. So now you can imagine when I walk into other hotel chains and they ask me, who are you with? Are you available? Yeah, oh, Four Seasons, now that, that tone. That that vetting process is shortened, and now and it's funny how it works. Though. The same product, but now because Four Seasons works with me, now they want to work with me. Um, but like I said, that's why it's it's you got to play the game, um, and uh, and and most people in the business are followers, and uh, and a lot of it is risk mitigation, right? They want to make sure you're legit, and so Four Seasons can take a chance on you. We're more we're more. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be lower than four seasons, so they're going to think, exactly. yeah, these exactly. guys are fine. Yeah, so, so yeah, that, so, so there is no one way. Um, that way was just, like, you know, getting scrappy on the internet. Um, and, uh, and that's what it takes, just that resourcefulness, you know, to, to find the people you need to get to and finding creative ways to get to them. But then also when you get their attention, like, 
you know, you, you have to send them some a compelling email or a compelling letter. Compelling so. email and not just trying to pitch them straight away. Um, and I'm, guys, if you're listening to this, I want you to go back the last five minutes and actually listen to what Ricky said. And, um, you know, the way that you can reach out to people and become a fan of them rather than try to push them what you're selling because that's what they hear every single day they get people pitching them products and ricky's gone out there and said look i love your book he bought his you know bought his wife's book bought him a painting all this type of stuff is some of the stuff you you'd read about in like how to win friends and influence people um that is uh, some great information there ricky so i I thank you for that no of course i love telling that story and if for anyone that cares they can go on my instagram and there's a picture of Mr. Sharp and I holding the painting that my father painted for him. And uh, it was a really cool moment in my career. So have a look at that, guys. Ricky uh, Miller the Third, Ricky Miller III is how they'll find your Instagram. Is that right? No, all spelled out. Ricky Miller, T-H-E-T-H-I-R-D. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right, Ricky, I'm going to wrap it up there. I'd like to thank you for coming on. That was a, a great interview, and I wish you all the success in the world with Carbonati. Julian, thanks for having me. No problem at all.